Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, philosophical, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. We return to our study of the kings and prophets of Israel and Judah. As the book of 2 Kings begins, we pick up with the last days of the prophet Elijah as he literally passes his mantle to his successor. First Kings closes out with the death of Ahab, a story that's filled with all kinds of portent and irony. Ahab, you remember, you know, this kind of review. Elijah the prophet had stood before Ahab following the incident at Naboth's vineyard in which Ahab has just taken over the property of a man that Jezebel has framed for a false crime and had executed for it and therefore confiscate land that he refused to sell to Ahab out of conscience. And Elijah had confronted Ahab and told him how he was going to die. And he said, dogs will lick your blood. (coughs) Well, in his great sermon, Payday Sunday, R.G. Lee makes much of the passage of time between that momentous prophecy and the fulfillment of it. And then the final, it did not all happen, even when it was fulfilled, it did not all happen at once. Ahab died in a battle of his own choosing. He was making the attack. He was not, be, he was not the attacker. He was, he was not the attackee. He was the attacker. He, it was his idea to get with Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, make an alliance, go after the king of Syria, and let's clear all these boundary disputes up once and for all, and let's do what we need to do, been cheated one time too many by this rascal, and you know, all of this stuff, and gets Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, wanting desperately to reunite the two kingdoms in fellowship, if not in politics, agrees to do so and says, oh, let's, let's do it, we're brothers, let's go forward with this. And Jehoshaphat and Ahab went forward into battle, and Ahab tells to Jehosh- Jehoshaphat comes out, as he was expected to, <coughs> on the morning of the attack, dressed in his regal robes so that his troops could see and take courage that their king is present with them on the battlefield. But Ahab, having a suspicion, and also having this prophecy, you know, from Elijah in the back of his mind, having this suspicion, well, they're probably, I've heard somebody, they're out gunning for me, so uh, I'll tell you what, I'm, 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 I'm going to just dress as a soldier. I'm not going to dress as a king. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put on my Class A uniform. I'm going to, I'm going to just wear my, the, you know, the regular fatigues of a, of a uh, chariot soldier by the chariot officer and not, you know, not worry about that. Therefore, they're, you know, they won't target me. Well, 
Jehoshaphat was targeted because he was the one wearing robes. But the king of Syria said, go for Ahab. Don't worry about anybody else. And when Jehoshaphat turned, they looked and they said, that's not Ahab. So they left him alone. And Jehoshaphat is thinking, what am I, chopped liver? I don't know what he's thinking. But... Ahab is out in a chariot unit. And he is just one of the troops. And the writer of Kings is very specific. He doesn't say simply he was struck by an arrow, random arrow. He points it out very specifically because he wants us to understand who really is in charge here. That this was not chance. That this was not just a, one of those things that happens on the battlefield. He says there was a certain archer who simply shot an arrow without aiming it. He goes all the way back to a particular archer as though this is the archer who had been selected by the executioner to fulfill the will of God. He just shot a random arrow into the air. He did not aim it. It just made an arc and it flew. And it hit the one point in Ahab's armor between the plate and the chainmail. The one point that he had vulnerability and it hit there. And he didn't die immediately. He bled to death in his chariot as the day went on. And when they took his body and his chariot to Jezreel and they unloaded his body and true to Elijah's prophecy, dogs came and licked his blood. So Ahab's dead. Somebody takes his place. It is his son, Ahaziah. Now interestingly enough, Ahaziah has a name that proclaims the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. There is no faith in Yahweh in the house of Ahab, but somehow Ahaziah has gotten him a name, gotten himself a name, so obviously he was not the son of Jezebel. We can conclude that. But Ahaziah, the crown prince, takes over. Not much is told us of his, of his reign. He was not as wretched a king as his father because his father was beyond anybody else. But he fell right into the, right in the line with the other kings of Israel following along the sin of Jeroboam. God had no use for him. There were no achievements that are mentioned here. There were no, you know, I mean, it didn't even mention any, just other than the fact that he followed along. The, he was a nothing king. He was a nobody. The most renowned, the greatest thing of renown that he was the one who succeeded Ahab. That was it. Ruled for about two years. And then verse 1, chapter 1, after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Moab was a vassal state. Moab was not a country of its own. Had no... You know, it was just, and they, but they were a vassal state. 
They rebelled against Israel. Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. By the way, we are going to come back to that thing about Moab. That, that deal is mentioned there. And then he just, the writer of Kings goes on to the next thing. Said, let me, but before I get to all that, let me tell you about this. Ahaziah was injured. He, he was doing some repairs, whatever, I don't know. Made a misstep. He was playing around. Had a, got out of line when they were doing a, a, a conga dance on the, you know, on the roof of the, I don't know what they were doing. One thing, that, he just, he fell through a lattice. Hurt himself. Seriously. He sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. See if I will recover from this injury. Now the word Beelzebub means literally Lord of Flies. By extension, Lord of Dung. That, I don't think, was the proper name of that deity. I think that that is an editorial change that was included by the editor, by the writer of Kings. They do not want to speak his name. Probably it's a, it was a switchover from Baal which means exalted Lord, or you know, the Lord of this place, the Lord of this city. He sent him to the to the God who was the Baal of Ekron, which was a Philistine city. Send him to find out, you know, whether I'm going to recover from this injury. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite. Now we haven't heard from Elijah in a little while. Eli we have, the last time we heard from Elijah was when he came and picked up Elisha on his way back into Israel from Mount uh, Horeb. But now we say the word of the Lord. Now that don't do not. There there are some years that are passing here. Do not con, uh, consider from that that Elijah has been inactive. There is much that we are not told in Scripture because it is not the point of the writer of this book to tell us all about the ministry of Elijah any more than it is to tell us all about the history of the kings. That's not his point and purpose. His point and purpose is to show us the movement of all of, of, of what God is doing and the spiritual warfare that is taking place in Israel and Judah during this time of the kings, the ages of the kings, which and the book of Kings really should be more properly titled Kings and Prophets. Word of the Lord, the angel of the Lord came, said to Elijah the Tishbite, go meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baals above the God of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. Messengers returned to the king and said, why have you come back? Then a man came to meet us, they replied, said, go back to the king you sent and tell him, you know, gave him the message. <laughs> the king said, what kind of man was this who came to meet you and told you this? He said, he was a man with a garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. He said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> so, that tells you something. By the way, anybody else in the Bible wore clothes like this? Yeah. So you wonder why people thought John the Baptist was Elijah. So, the king, so then the king sent to Elijah a captain with a company of 50 men. Went up to Elijah. That wasn't enough. Let me just go ahead and tell you. <laughs> 
sent him 50 men to arrest Elijah. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said, Man of God, the king says, come down. And Elijah answered the captain, If I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Fire from, from heaven, consume the captain and his 50 men. At this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to a man of God, This is what the king says, come down at once. If I'm a man of God, may fire from heaven. The... Yeah, well, there you go. <coughs> So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. The third captain went and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. The literal expression is, let my life be precious and the life of these 50 servants be precious in your sight. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but let my life be precious to you. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up went with him to the king. So now we have something, you know, Elijah can go. He's Basically, he's not under arrest. He's given safe conduct. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baals above the God of Ekron? Behold, you have, because you've done this, you will never leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Notice how that said, I mean, what is the more important thing here? That Ahaziah died? No. You're given a half a line for that. What's the more important thing? The word of the Lord is fulfilled. And the, and the Lord shows himself to be the living God, not the dead gods of these pagan cities. Leave, these, leave them alone. They are false. They are, they are nothing. They are imaginary. They, they have no power. They have no life. Going back to the covenant, I am God. I wound and I heal. I kill and I make alive and there is no other God but me. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram, second son in line, second son of Ahab in line, succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. As for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign, what he did, Go look in the library. That's what he's saying here. So I don't, I'm not messing with that. If, if you want to find out what they did, go to the library. That's not what this book is about. I can't tell you off the top of my head. Okay. I just wondered if it was the same. Like, could that be Jezebel's son? No. Uh. -uh. Okay. Do, do Again, his name is connected to Yahweh. Okay. Do they? Yahoram. Do they ever have children? Not that show up in the Bible. Uh, they did have children, and we'll see what happens to them, but not today. Chapter 2 begin, and chapter, the story in chapter 2, I would, if I were a filmmaker, I would love to create a movie sequence based on this. There, this is just... A motion picture with you know with surround sound and all of you you can there there's so much that could be done this 
this is so full, it is so simply told, and yet so heavy with meaning that it really, you need to visualize this in your mind. If you're just reading it and just having an, a verbal in, it exercise with your mind as you're reading this, you're not going to get the full impact of this passage. There is, it is heavy with meaning. Heavy with the presence of things that are beyond our ability to explain of what goes on in here. And we all focus on the one sensational thing, but everything leading up to that. Let's just look at it. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind, he says, see, notice that there is no suspense given to that whatsoever. There is no suspense for us who are hearing this story. Basically, the writer of Kings says, you already know what happened to Elijah. You already know this. So I'm not going to surprise you by, you know, I'm not going to try to create any phony sense of climax here. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right out. God's going to take Elijah up into heaven in a, whirl, in a chariot of fire in a whirlwind. So, you know, let's get that out of the way. Why does he say that? He says, because I don't want you to focus on that. So what does he want us to focus on? Watch. Elijah and Elisha. By the way, are have you are are you among there are a certain number of people who have a difficult time keeping Elijah and Elisha straight. That is partly because of in the English render, rendering of their names, their names seem so similar. They're not that similar in Hebrew. I know I, that probably won't help you. <laughs> but in, in Hebrew, Elijah is Eliyahu. And in Hebrew, Elijah is Elisha. So, I mean, it's, but, I mean, it's a whole, you, you've got a whole, other, you know, Eliyahu, you know, is a, I mean, it's, a, it's in Hebrew, it's even, a, you can even see, anyway. It's just, I don't, I don't know how to help you that. Just figure it out. You know, what has Elisha been doing for the last several years since Elijah selected him? Basically, put it in contemporary terms, he's been carrying his briefcase, he's been his secretary, he's been his aide, he's been his assistant. An apprentice. He's been an apprentice. He has had no, the main thing is he has had no independent work of his own. Everything that he has done has been at the bidding of Elijah. It's been announced to him, and God has already said, you're going to take over. God told Elijah, Elisha the son of Shaphat is going to take over from you. But that's not a given. See that? It's not a given. It's not in the... Even though God declared it, He decreed it, it's still not a given. 
That is something that has to be received, and it actually has to be given, and it has to be received. Look at it. And so, as they were on their way from Gilgal, Elijah, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord sent me to Bethel. In Hebrew, and who has, uh, somebody have the English Standard Version? The word please is put in there. Please stay here. Chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 1. The American says, stay here, please. Stay here, please. There is a Hebrew particle in there that, that indicates this is not a command. It's not, it's somewhere between a request and an invitation. Let me, so let me put it in Texican. Lord sent me to Bethel. You can stay here if you want to. You can stay here if you want to. That's the tone. That's the bit. So that might help you understand what, if you understand that that's the tone, it's a tone of bidding. It's not a tone of command. Elijah has, basically Elijah is saying to Elisha, I've got to go. You do not have to go with me. So in proper English, it would really be, if you please. If you please. If you please. You may stay here. You may stay here. He's giving him permission to stay. He is basically inviting him to stay. In, in essence, he's saying, if you're not in this all the way, I don't need you with me. There is something that Elijah knows and yet he doesn't know. There is something that Elisha knows and yet he doesn't know. God has shown them what he's going to do, but he hasn't shown them all that he's going to do. He has shown them what's going to happen, but he hasn't shown them how these things are going to happen and how it's going to come down. And they do not know what kind of test lies ahead. They don't know what kind of test lies ahead. They know that God is directing them. Elijah knows. And Elisha also, as a prophet in his own right, God has put it in his heart. And there is a burden here. And I want you to see and feel for a moment. Use your imagination to feel the burden of the great prophet Elijah. Elijah, I do not believe, had been used up. He, we, we spoke of him in terms of being, he was broken. But I'm, I want you to understand that in a spiritual term. To be broken spiritually means that you are ever submissive to the will of God. You have no will of your own. Your only will is his will. And you respond to what he says to do without hesitation. That's what happens when you're broken in spirit before the Lord. The Lord heals those who are broken in spirit. So when I sp speak of that, it doesn't mean that Elijah lacked vigor. <clears throat> I believe that Elijah in these years, there is evidence in this passage of great vigor. It appears that what Elijah has been doing is he has been going and he has been going to those who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he's been finding those that God has selected and that God is speaking to. And he has toned, shown them how to hear the voice of the Lord. And he has given them demonstration and instruction how to speak the words of the Lord without the fear of man. And he has trained these men. 
and he has gone, gone from place to place and established schools of the prophets, men who, uh, some translations, uh, a very good translation, literal translation, the sons of the prophets. So he goes from Gilgal to Bethel, where there is a group of the sons of the prophets. Oh, by the way, what is Elisha's response to Elijah's invitation? If he, You can stay here if you want to. Uh, he says and when a prophet says this there is no profanity there is no taking of the name of the Lord in vain in it he said I swear to God and before you I'm going with you so that's actually a vow when somebody says a vow if you say that is a vow swear to God that is a, that is a vow as the Lord lives and as you live I will not leave you Elijah basically nods as if to say, suit yourself. Of course, Elisha's not suiting himself. He's learned something from his master. So they went down to Bethel and the company of prophets, the sons of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, they came to Elisha. Notice that this is so typical because Elijah, by this time, Elijah is, as far as they're concerned, Elijah is up there. And Elijah, by the way, is obviously preoccupied. There is something very heavy on his mind. They so they don't go talk to him, they go to Elisha. And what do they say? <laughs> Did you know that your master is going to be taken from you today? And Elisha says, duh. <laughs> Shut up. We're not talking about it. Now, Elisha, I don't think, was rude. Well, he might have been rude. Elisha shows himself to be pretty abrupt sometimes. Says, yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Keep your mouth shut. This is not a, this is not a matter of discussion. Why? There's some things too sacred to talk about sometimes. There's nothing you can say about what's going to happen, Elisha is saying, that isn't going to be insipid conversation. Ponder it. Don't talk about it. Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord sent me to Jericho. Again, he uses the same expression. You can stay here if you want to. It's not a command. It's an invitation. You don't have to come with me. Then Elijah said, and as he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today. Yeah, I know. Keep quiet. We're not talking about this. you feel the burden? Why the burden? I want you to ponder that for a second, for a little bit. Why the burden? It's a burden that Elijah is carrying. How do you know? 
he's not talking about it. There's not a message here. It's too deep for a message. It's too heavy for a message. If the word were spoken, you couldn't stand it. You couldn't handle it. So it's pondered. And Elisha, there's a burden that he is carrying. He's carrying his master's burden with him and for him. He was doing what Jesus' disciples wanted to do and thought that they were going to do, but failed to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was way beyond that. Why the burden? From Jericho, Elijah said to him, stay here. And by the way, you can feel that heaviness on the sons of the prophets too. And that's why they have to ask the stupid question of Elijah. Something that every, is obvious to everybody and somebody finally gives voice to it. And Elijah says, Elisha just says, Well, it's like he's going to his pupils to say goodbye. Yeah. Without. And they know. And yeah, they know. actually saying. They know. This is the last time. There's that same spirit of heaviness that Paul had in Acts when he went and spoke to the Ephesian elders and said to them, I know that you shall never see my face. I shall never see your face again. And they all wept. In this case, the 50 prophets, though, they're not weeping, but they're just, they feel the weight. They know something's going on. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here if you want to. The Lord sent me over Jordan. As surely as the Lord lives and as, I, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. So they're looking on. They're at a distance. They're watching this. They're, they're looking on. They're like, and they're amazed. I mean, they're just, they're in on this. And the people of the world, bystanders of the world, would never, ever notice this. But these people who are sensitive to the Spirit of God know there's something going on. There's sometimes that only those who are spiritually sensitive can see what's going on. Everybody could see what was going on at Mount Carmel. Only the sons of the prophets know what's going on here. And they don't know what's going on, but they know something's happening. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, took it, and struck the Jordan with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over dry ground. What does that remind you of? Red Sea. Red Sea. What else? The Jordan crossing, both of those. There are connections all of, as a matter of fact, the track that they took. Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho. The route of Joshua coming in is the route of Elijah going out. You've got the connection, you've got the, when was there in the, in the scripture another passing 
of the torch, a passing of the mission from one to another, from Moses to Joshua. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. Elisha's name means my God saves. See the connections there? And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, uh, there I did it. (laughs) Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? The first words that are spoken about this, spoken by Elijah, as it should be. What can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And notice how he says that, before I'm taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now we read that, and with our American ears we think, let me, let me get twice as much as what you've got. That's not what that means. The double portion is the inheritance that goes to the eldest who is going to carry on the family name. What Elisha is asking is, I don't merely, I'm asking not merely to take your to, to take up the slack of leadership that you're, that it's going to be left by your going. I want to take over what you're doing. I want to take over and finish what you're, what you've started. Now, what is Elijah's response? You've asked a difficult thing. I think that has, that has multiple meanings, but I think we skim over one of the meanings that's most important. You've asked a difficult thing. That, mean, that might, in one way, mean say, well, you know, really, that's not mine to give. But I'll ask, and if you see me when I'm taken from you, you'll know that you have it. That's, and that is part of it. it is, I think it's part of it. Elijah is saying back to Elisha, that's not mine to give. That's not, my, that's not a gift that I can offer you, but I'll give you, I'll tell you, it might hang around. <laughs> Stick around. The Lord will reveal it. But there's something else in that. You've asked a difficult thing. Do you realize what you're asking? Do you realize what you're asking? Elisha, you think you've given up your old life to follow me. You have no idea. You are given up. You are going to give up every right to yourself in order to take over this job. You are going to pay a price. And you've only seen the after effects of the price that I've had to pay for it. You've asked a difficult thing. But, stick around. 
as they were walking along and talking together. Now they're talking. And suddenly, a chariot of fire, of horses of fire, appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Okay. We've already been told that that's going to happen. Elisha saw this and cried out. And now we find a clue. Now we find the explanation for the heaviness, for the burden. And the words that Elisha cries out. Because what he comes out doesn't come out of his mind. It comes out of his soul. My father, my father. The horses and chariots of Israel. Now my Bible professor in college, Dr. Rowena Strickland, had a nice little paraphrase of this. There goes Israel's one-man army. And that catches the, the direct metaphor there. The horses and chariots of Israel. This is Israel's one-man army. This is the real defender of Israel. But I want us to understand something. We have seen that there, is, there, has been, there have been wars in Israel, right? And God has, in spite of Israel's sin, in spite of the sinfulness of their king, in spite of their rebellion, God has defended them, has He not? He has defended them, and He has defended them through the word of the prophets, particularly through Elijah. But what especially is this about? We have talked about it when we went through 1 Kings, and we are going to see that continuing still. There's a spiritual warfare going on. That one time in the scripture, one time in this book, at Mount Carmel, broke out and became visible on earth. But most of this spiritual warfare is invisible. Most of this is going on and it can't be seen by human eyes. And in this spiritual warfare, there is one person who has stood between Israel and the judgment of God. One person has stood between Israel and God pouring out His wrath on His people. One person who has helped, who has kept Israel righteous enough to keep from being swept away under the covenant terms of God. Righteous enough to keep from having the full weight of the law fall upon it and crush it. One person. That's Elijah. That's the importance of Elijah. My father, my father, the horses and chariots of Israel, the importance of an intercessor, the importance of a prophet, the importance of, a, of the word of God, the importance of someone who stands and brings the word and enacts the word. Elijah had a singular role matched only by Moses in the salvation history that brought us to Christ. And that brought Christ to us. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus changed into His glory, met and spoke with two men from the Old Testament. Who were they? Moses and Elijah. Gives you some indication of the significance 
of the life and ministry of Elijah. And just a foreshadowing of where we're going to go next week, we're going to see Elisha, how Elisha begins to step in. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, then went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, and then we'll find out next week what happens next. This has been the first of 14 talks on 2 Kings. The death of Ahab has set up transitions to the throne of Israel, but the emphasis is going to be on the prophet Elisha, the successor to Elijah. And we are going to see that he's even less likely to give ground than his mentor. It's an exciting story, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.